The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take it away, guys. Welcome to another edition of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams as we tape this episode Monday, March 30th. 2020. We hope all our listeners out there are safe and healthy with their families in this time of crisis. John Fanta with you here on the west side of Cleveland. Kim Adams is out in the Philadelphia area. Kim, what's the latest with you in this time of quarantine? I think, you know, not much has changed since last week, John. Obviously, we mentioned health is always number one right now. So just fortunate to be healthy to be self-quarantining, trying to keep myself busy. I know we were both watching the Tiger King. I banged out Ozark season three in two days this week. Um, so just trying to to do my part, stay inside, have been staying in touch with family, doing our our little Zooms, uh, some some happy hours, some good food over Zoom. Um, but yeah, I mean, doing doing as well as I can right now and and just thankful for the people who are who are really battling this for us and one of them we're going to be hearing from in a little bit later john how are things with you in cleveland things are okay just hunkered down with family as well i I actually on a personal note have a grandpa who is in hospice care right now and I guess if there is a blessing, it's that we can see him from a distance at the facility uh, because my grandpa's certainly on the final stretch. I don't think anything is is too quickly approaching, although it's a it's a fluid situation. But basically, my time is spent uh, between uh, helping my grandma at her house, uh, trying to to help my mom with anything she needs. Obviously, being very aware of of sanitizing uh, they're both very close their houses are are matter of blocks away from one another so not going at a far distance and the and the nursing home facility is about uh, the, the hospice facility is about 15 minutes away so have been able to talk with grandpa and keeping a distance but catching up with him he was really my inspiration for sports growing up we would talk every day uh, about cleveland sports so i, I would call him my best friend so to be able to to talk with him and, and just get his perspective and whatnot, he, he still has that mind to go down memory lane and remembers different sports moments and, and uh, is able to shed perspective on any situation, even with this, this COVID situation. So that's been a blessing. And in this time of crisis, I'm, I'm so grateful that I got back here to Cleveland when the Big East tournament got canceled because I, I – my heart breaks right now for New York City. I'm 
my main home is in Hoboken, New Jersey, and they're, they've been shut down. They were one of the first towns to really shut down nationally. So I'm grateful to be back here in Ohio where we aren't seeing as crazy of a spread, but we still are seeing a spread. And, and, and that's, that's where I'm at right now, just trying to make the most of the time we do have with our families. And as, as you brought up, catching up on some Netflix as well. I'm, I'm actually very intrigued. You, you talk about things that could be streamed. And in our college basketball world, this week on HBO is going to be a documentary uh, on Christian Dawkins and some of the, the corruption within the sport of college basketball. That comes out, uh, I believe, on Tuesday night on HBO. So we may have something to talk about next week because all reviews are pointing to that being a really telling documentary. I'm really intrigued to see that. Well, I might have to uh, snag your login for that if we're going to talk about it because I don't, I'm, I'm not balling like you, John. I don't have the HBO package over here. So you may have to, to slide me the subscription. Well, Kim, I'd be happy to share my HBO logged into you. I, I don't think we could share it to every one of our listeners, although I, I think that's that's discouraged uh, by HBO and the other streaming services. But in this time of quarantine, I, I think they can let us off the hook here, although I'm, I'm fully admitting that I'm going to share with you my login information. Uh, that said, let's turn to the subject of the pod today. We are very pleased to now welcome in someone who is on the front lines of this coronavirus pandemic, an emergency medicine physician at Novant Health in Matthews, North Carolina. Not only is she a doctor today, an emergency medicine physician, but the linkage with basketball, she played for one of the all-time greats, Pat Summit, at Tennessee from 1998 to 2001, and she appeared in a national championship game. Pleased to be joined by Dr. Sarah Edwards today. Dr. Edwards, thanks for taking the time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. In these tough times, we can rely on the wisdom of those who came before us. Let's start with Coach Summit, who you played for. What lessons did you take away from her that are helping you in the challenges you're currently facing treating coronavirus? You know, one thing about playing for Coach Summit, and I refer to her as Pat a lot. A lot of us did. Um, One thing about playing for her was she expected us at every second, every position that we had with the ball, to be able to focus 100% and give it everything we had. There was never a time that it was okay in practice or in a game to kind of just go through the motions. That's something she talked about with us, that every possession was an opportunity to get better and to do well. And that is one thing that I really think that I took away from her that's helping me now, because every single time that I walk into the ER, every single time that I see a patient, especially now, given this outbreak, I have to be very, very careful with putting on my material with the steps I take medically. It requires 100% of my focus to keep myself safe, keep my nursing staff safe, and to keep all the other patients in the ER safe. And so that's one of the lessons that I think if I wouldn't have played for, I don't know if I could do it. It's very hard to, to be able to keep your focus 100% and really focus for in a period of time, and that is definitely something I learned from her. You know, there's, there's other things, too, I would say. She, she taught us all 
to be extremely, extremely brave and the value of hard work. Um, no one that ever has played for you would tell you that she let you rely on your talent alone or anything. She really believed in the value of hard work and that by putting in the time off the court, you know, you would be an amazing, amazing player and person. And I think that's the other thing that's really helped me here is because I do spend a lot of time even, you know, preparing for each one of my shifts before I go in. Since this is a new virus, I spend a lot of time learning and reading about it so I know what to do in the crunch time when the decisions are tough, when you have some a patient crashing in front of you. That's another thing I would definitely say is I, I'm very well prepared, and I think I learned that from her. Without a doubt. Uh, Dr. Edwards, you you played at Tennessee really in its prime with Coach Summit, and you look at some of the players you played with, some of the best that have ever played the game, Shamika Holdscaw, Tamika Catchings, Carol Lawson. What was it like just going up against those players in practice every day for a couple of years or just being around them in the locker room? You know what? That has been one of the greatest things about this. I mean, when you look at our that, that basketball team, and I take myself back to those years, is you take a bunch of girls that are from all over the country that have very different backgrounds, we all did, and you put us together and we're able to spend so much time together and work towards such a big common goal that you become best friends. And, you know, it's truly a lesson in really learning about someone from somewhere different and really appreciating them. And it's an absolutely eye-opening thing. And, you know, <laughs> I'm so lucky now. I still chat with Kara. And I'm just so proud of them. It's really fascinating to see what we've all done. You know, we, we've all taken the tools that we learned from Pat and we've really applied them and done some amazing things. And it just goes to show you what an opportunity that she gave us. You know, it, I say all the time, I don't know if I would have gotten into med school if it wouldn't have been for her. And, you know, I'm, I know that like, Kara and Shamiqua and Tamika, you know, she just opened doors for us and she made sure that we were ready when those doors opened. Um, you know, that, that is what she did for us. And it was wonderful to play with those players. It was absolutely, I remember being scared the first time I met Shamiqua. I was so just amazed by her. She was just like this amazing person. And for anyone that knows her, She's just nice. I mean, there's, once you meet her, you're like, wow, I can't believe she's this amazing basketball player because she's just this, like, nice, kind of goofy, sweet lady. And so it, it was funny. And then I think about Kara. I'll never forget my story with Kara was, you know, I'm from Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is probably an hour outside of Knoxville. And it's a small mountain town. And one time I went home and Kara came with me. And I was going to see my brother and sister played a high school basketball game. And at halftime, everyone knew who Kara Lawson was, of course. And Kara went out and played with all the kids during halftime, played basketball out on the court. And, I mean, you would have thought that we had, I don't know, Michael Jordan out there playing with all the kids. I mean, these are just, these are just wonderful, wonderful people, truly. I know they're good basketball players, but they are good people. <laughs> Dr. Edwards, you've talked about the impact that Pat Summit has made on your life. 
What do you remember about the first time you received the summit stare? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the very first one. I, I mean, she gave them frequently. <laughs> so it's hard to say. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember the first one. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And sometimes they would come out of nowhere. Like, th that was the funny thing. Like, sometimes it would be for something small. Like, you actually thought you completed the play or the possession in a good way. But she would say, you know what? Yeah, you scored, but that wasn't right. This is the way you're supposed to do it. And you'd get it then. Or you would get it, I mean, it was scary. I, I will just tell you, the last thing that any of us wanted was to disappoint her because she was, and, and this is the thing that I think people don't always understand unless she played for her and knew her. She cared about us really deeply cared about us, not just about winning the game or winning the NCAA. She cared about each one of us a lot. And we knew that. And we knew that. So when we hurt her, you know, when we let her down, it was awful. I mean, it was awful when you let her down because she made you know that she cared for you. And so when you let her down, it was just very, <laughs> I think that was the worst part is because you truly felt, felt awful. You felt very guilty when you let her down. That's great. Um, Dr. Edwards, I wanted to ask you about the Yukon Tennessee rivalry because they did bring that back this year uh, for the first time since 2007. And I know a lot of former players were chiming in and saying it's not quite where it was uh, when you were playing, but that was when the rivalry was, was most heated. I think you, you, it looks like you may have played them six times over your career, including yeah. <laughs> uh, in the, in the 2000 national title game. Just how would you describe what it was like to be a player in that rivalry? You know, I, I think, and maybe it's, I would have answered it differently then than I do now, but I just look back upon it as, wow, wasn't I lucky to be a part of that? <laughs> because it was so tense. It was, it was such a tense thing. We, it was just, it's the most real rivalry <laughs> you could have imagined. And when I think of it now, I think, God, how fun to care that much to, to, to beat someone and to play like with the intensity that we did and they were always on our mind. And, you know, at the time we were playing, they had just some amazing players. I mean, with Diana Taurasi, they had Sue Bird. It was kind of the, we had nothing but the most respect for those players, honestly. Like, that was the thing. Like, even though it was like this intense rivalry, and I'm sure, you know, there were times that people would say mean things, both sides. But in the, in, you know, the most basic part of that rivalry was because they were good. <laughs> and, and so were we. And so for the players, you know, from our perspective, I remember before the game started, we would always kind of chat with them. You know, we knew them um, and we really liked each other, to be honest, but we wanted nothing more than to beat them. It was a great rivalry, honestly. I thought it was, it was, it's something that I'm so proud that I got to be part of and we would play them all the time and, and we, we enjoyed it. It was a blast to have the opportunity to play them. Now, unfortunately, when I was there, 
they, you know, we, we didn't win much against them. <laughs> and so they definitely won the rivalry for the most part when I was there. And so that's unfortunate, but I just, I remember just nothing being more fun. There was more hype about those games. I, I personally just loved them. It was, it was a great opportunity to get to play at the highest level and get to be something. Part of that, like, just part of that was wonderful for us. Great to go down memory lane with you. Very, very cool story about the rivalry. Looking at the present now, in this time of crisis, you're an emergency medicine physician, and you've been working on your recertification as well, which is required every 10 years. And as part of your study, you keep a close eye on current events in the medical world. So I'm curious, Dr. Edwards, what were your thoughts as you first saw what was developing in China with COVID-19? So, so like you mentioned, I have to recertify this year, which my test has now been canceled, which, you know, I appreciate them doing that for the time being. We got a lot on our plates as emergency physicians, and it's, it's nice of them to do that. But the, the truth was, I was seeing a lot of things on COVID-19 before, way before anybody else was not just me personally, but other ER physicians. We, you know, in this day and age, some of the way that you get your best information on current things to treat and the most up-to-date things is through social media. And there's a lot of closed groups that are just for ER doctors all over the world. And sometimes those really help. Yes, you have to be careful. You have to make sure they're legit. But for the most part, I'm part of several um, social media groups, whether it be physicians, mom, physician mom groups, or just there's one called EM Docs. And when push comes to shove and you need up-to-date info, you can ask a question on there and you will get maybe 500 replies from other physicians around the world. So I think I started hearing about it probably six weeks before anyone. And that was a very scary time for me because with with Ebola and things like that, Ebola has such a high mortality rate, meaning it kills people so much that it's not something that can be easily passed on and turn into a pandemic because it is too deadly. Um, to be a, something that could be a pandemic, you, you can't have a really high mortality or you'll just kill everyone else. So... COVID-19 being that it's very infective, but the mortality rate is pretty low, that is the perfect virus for a pandemic. So we started hearing about this truly as emergency medicine doctors, probably six weeks, I feel like before it really got here. And there was a lot of discussion on the groups that I was with about this. And so it was, it was hard because I felt pretty well informed early on, and then the stance from the general public in the United States, I felt like they didn't really know, not their fault, but the information that was kind of being propagated about the disease, I didn't feel like was was right. And so I just felt like it was very downplayed. And, and I think that, that that was hard for me to watch because I thought, I'm, I'm a doctor. I have no, like, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm not trying to there's no part of this that is, you know, I get nothing from telling you I'm concerned about this. There's no, 
you know, there's nothing for me out of this. I'm telling you what's coming and I am concerned. And I felt like for a lot of, for a lot of us physicians who were concerned about it, it kind of fell on deaf ears. Wow. Um, Dr. Edwards, and, and you talk about, you know, this information just changing now day to day, week to week. How has, how has your day to day operation changed now? Just kind of what, what is your new normal like um, with what's going on in your area and, and around the country? Yeah. So, you know, that's a bit, the way you phrase that question, I think is very important because um, two things. Number one, it's changing. At one point, I was getting an email from our group leaders um, almost every hour on things that were changing, meaning on this is what we want you to do, this is where we're going with this. It was almost every hour that they were having to change the guidelines they were giving us because they would get new information almost every hour, and they wanted us to stay on top of it so we could treat people to the best of our ability. So truly, we were getting emails and changing our guidelines almost every hour for a period there, which which is wonderful, right? Like you have to do that, but it's hard to stay on top of that. And the second thing that I think I would say is that the way you phrased it with it being so different in areas of the country, that is very true. So what I'm seeing in Charlotte, North Carolina won't be the same. So today is what I'm going to see. And then in two weeks, it's going to be a very different ball game. But what they're seeing in New York right now is very different than what I'm seeing right now. Um, but what kind of the way it is for me right now is when I go into work, I have to be very, very careful from the moment I arrive. Um, you know, I don't take any food with me any longer. And, you know, these are long shifts. And I would always, you know, take a few breaks and eat and drink, use the bathroom. I don't really even want to eat. I'm not eating and drinking, and I don't even want to use the bathroom now. I'm truly suiting up, and I'm getting in my protective gear. And every time I see a patient, you know, putting the gear on and off takes time to do it correctly without infecting myself. Um, so, you know, it takes great focus to put on my protective gear and get it off after I see a patient. Um, it, it really does. The other thing is, for us, we are still seeing a few other emergencies in the ER, meaning um, appendicitis, um, heart attack, uh, pulmonary embolus, stroke. We're still getting that in Charlotte right now, along with all of the COVID-19 patients. So we're seeing a mix of it right now. Um, so it's very hard because when I come out of a COVID-19 patient room, before I go in a room with someone who's very ill, I have to make sure I'm clean and I'm not going to infect the other patient. So I have to really be careful to not be a vector for this disease and keep these patients safe. So it just takes a lot of focus in, in doing that and remembering every time, kind of walk myself through a way to keep them and me safe. And that's kind of the way we're seeing it now. So it is a, it's a much physically more, just I, I guess mentally more than physical, it's just a lot of anxiety right now. Um, in New York, what they're seeing, you know, my sister-in-law is a doctor in New York. Um, I've got a lot of friends that are ER doctors in New York and speaking with them and keeping up with them. You know, they are really being overwhelmed right now. Um, the amount of people 
that they're seeing, they're seeing pretty much only COVID-19 at this point. There's hardly anyone else coming to the hospital. Um, so I do worry about those patients with the heart attacks, the strokes, you know, what, what's happening to them right now? Because truly they, the system is so overwhelmed with the COVID-19 patients, it's hard for them to take care of anyone else. They're doing the best they can, but it's, it's very hard for them to get there. So what we're seeing now in Charlotte is we're still in the upswing of the disease. It's projected to peak here, I believe, around April 20th, April 22nd. We are not supposed to get quite as bad as, as New York, which is, which is wonderful for us here. Um, but we are still going to be short on ICU beds, on ventilators, and things like that. So luckily for us, we have some more time to prepare. Um, and I think that we're, we're trying. I know my hospital is trying hard to, to prepare. So I've appreciated the extra time so my group and my hospital can make changes, get the equipment, and really prepare for the worst to come. Just going off of that, where are you in terms of critical supplies like the personal protective equipment and ventilators? So, like I said, I, if we would have had this conversation a few weeks ago, I would have been really scared because I think what was happening, and it's, it's a hard thing to understand if you're not in the medical field, but this is truly what was happening. So the mask and all this, we call it PPE, the personal protective gear. Usually we do not have to use that stuff that much. Like we just don't. So what was happening was within one week after this COVID-19 outbreak started and we needed to wear it a lot, we were going through our hospital's supplies um, of what we would normally order for the whole year. It was like we were going through them in one week. And so it wasn't that the hospitals hadn't ordered enough. You know, I've seen a lot of stuff on the news. It's not that they under-ordered. It's just that all of a sudden there was this great need that we didn't have before. And so, you know, for us, now, I feel pretty good because we have been graciously given an opportunity to stock up on things. Now, certain areas in the country, they did not get that opportunity at all. You know, their outbreak came fierce and came all of a sudden, and they didn't get a chance to prepare. So, you know, they didn't have that opportunity. Us, since we're behind the curve with, you know, behind when ours is going to peak, we have taken big steps down here to make sure we have enough equipment. Um, will we? I don't know, but I feel really confident at this point that we will because we've had these extra weeks to come up with some other things, and that's what we've done. And I think a lot of American hospitals have done that. So I'm feeling a lot better about it now than I was. <laughs> You have the dynamic you were talking about treating someone that doesn't have COVID and then going back into a room with someone who does and vice versa and just making sure that you're not spreading it or, or that there's any of that. On top of that, you also have the dynamic of being a mom to four kids yeah. ranging from 10 years old down to a baby. And I know that this is always a concern because you're in healthcare. But how has the dynamic changed with how contagious COVID is with also being a mother? Well, I'll be honest. So, you know, in emergency medicine, we're not scared of a lot of things. I mean, we see 
it, and it's not because we're so brave or anything like that. It's because we are well-trained, right? Like, luckily in America, we are very blessed that our doctors are trained well. And I feel like when you graduate from residency, you know what you're doing. So I feel like I was very well-trained, and part of that training is to remain calm. And so there's not a lot of things that you can throw at ER doctors in America that they haven't seen before. Um, you know, I know for me, I sometimes feel like I'm at my calmest when there's the sickest patient, a catastrophic medical event in front of me. And for whatever reason, my brain goes into a very calm place at that time. And you, you truly just do what your training told you to do. And so that it's weird for us in the ER. And I think one of the weirdest things for me in this, in this has been there's instead of always in the ER, there's a sense of calm between the nurses and doctors, no matter how sick the patients are, because we've seen it multiple times before. We've done this multiple times before. And with this, because it's new and there's so much unknown, there's a baseline stress level that is that's different, that I've, it's, it's palpable when you walk into work now. And it's because we haven't done this before. And we know what the stakes are. We know everything. We know people's lives are riding on it. We know that. And so there's this stress level that's in these seasoned doctors and seasoned nurses that is there, that you can feel, that I can feel when I walk in. The other thing is I've never been scared to go to work per se. I've never had anything where I felt like I was putting my family at risk. Yes, I see deadly diseases all the time. We take care of people with deadly, but we're careful and we, we know how to protect ourselves and we do that. We follow the guidelines. This one's been a little harder because the information on how it's transmitted has changed a few times. There's a lot on this disease we don't 100% know. And so it's hard for me to feel 100% safe and protected right now. So the last time I went to work, it was hard because, you know, I do have four little girls um, and my 10 year old knows enough to be concerned. So she's scared when I go to work and that is hard. It's hard as a mom to know that me going to work could put my family at risk. And that, that's a hard thing, I think, for a lot of us um, that are in the healthcare field right now. We are going to do what we do because, let's face it, we've been trained to do this. We knew what we signed up for. And, you know, we are going to take care of patients that need our help. But it is hard when you come home to walk in the door and just take that off and hang it up and go back to just being mom. Because you have to, like, when I get home from work now, we kind of all laugh. We don't want to bring any germs in the house. We want to bring nothing in. So we change, obviously, before we come in the door. Um, I don't bring my shoes in. I pretty much strip down. You know, we've all been laughing. You pretty much strip down outside and you run in the house hoping no one saw you in your underwear because there's nothing that's been on your body that you want to bring in your house. Um I mean, nothing from, I don't want to take my phone into work right now. I want, I want nothing in there. And then when I get home, I have to go through this process of decontaminating myself. I have long hair. 
Um, you know, I'm trying to pin it back, keep it covered, but I feel the need to really clean myself completely. And then the other thing that's hard with this disease is there is an incubation time. So from the time I'm exposed, I have a full 14 days until I can get it. And during that time, I can still shed the virus, even though I may not have any symptoms of it. So for me, it's hard because I have a baby. She actually turned one today. And she would be, you know, infants are in a, a high-risk group in some ways. Infants and old people are always the ones you have to worry about with, with any illness. They would get sicker than other people. Um, and, you know, I do worry. I, I'm, I'm still nursing her. So I, I worry is it going to get to a point where I'm infected and I don't know it and I unknowingly pass it to her? And, you know, those worries can drive you crazy. So <laughs> instead of focusing on it, I just try to honestly protect myself to the best of my ability when I'm at work and know that if I'm doing everything that I can do, we should be okay. Wow. Well, first, happy birthday to your, to your littlest one. Hopefully <laughs> you guys you. could make the most of us, most of it during this time. But yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all new. It's all crazy. Just wrapping up here. Um, you mentioned that you think in your area and probably in a, a lot of areas, um, this disease is still a couple of weeks away from its peak. Um, so what can, can both we be doing? We meaning just, you know, normal citizens who are, self-containing, self-quarantining, what can we continue to do to help the greater good of this? And also what, what can the government continue to do in these next few weeks, whether at a local level or a national level? So one of the really good things has been, I do think at least we started doing a social distancing when we did, because if we wouldn't have started that in the country, then I think we would all be peaking the same way that New York City is peaking which we can see how this is playing out. It's a total, you know, overwhelming system, overwhelming the ventilator. It, it is not a good scenario. Um, so by us social distancing the way we have, we have made the virus maybe last a little longer in some sense because we are peaking slower, but we have to realize that that is good. Even though nobody likes to be quarantined at home and everybody wants to get back to normal, it's because if we can keep it at a lower level, we will not overwhelm the healthcare system to the point that we are having to do things like in Italy, where literally if you're over 70, they may just let you die and because they need the vent for a 35-year-old. And, you know, there's an article right now that's in kind of our most prestigious journal of medicine, New England Journal of Medicine, on how we need to pick who lives and who dies if it gets to that. And that, that is so frightening. So I would just remind people that this is real and this can happen, but the social distancing is working. I mean, it's, it's working. So the more you can just stay at home and go nowhere right now and not get yourself or your family infected, the lower that peak will be. And so when you get sick, you'll get a ventilator <laughs> if you need it. If we don't keep the social distancing up and we just go on about, our day and go to Home Depot and go wherever and, you know, get everything you need to be at home for this long. And just, you know, the parks in Charlotte, I've seen a lot of people playing basketball out there. And I'm like, this is not social distancing. If we don't stop doing that, you will overwhelm the healthcare system. And there's a chance that when you need to be taken care of, we legitimately will not have the materials to take care of you 
and you die. So to me, it's very, very serious. This is a serious call to action to stay at home. Don't go anywhere unless you have to. If these things are done the way that they've been done, you, you talked about it, we've social distanced here to a degree, and you talked about the timing of it. Question that everybody is searching for the answer to what's your opinion on when life could return back to normalcy? So I'm basing my projections on a few things that I've seen um, by reputable websites, and there's a few different ones. And kind of the projections, they're doing it on a state-by-state state level since in the United States right now, um, you know, we're not a, some counties even have, you know, a very high population of COVID-19. Some counties don't have anybody right now. So what they've done is they've kind of put it on a state-by-state state level. So you can kind of Google that and see, and you can see where your state is today, and they can make projections. Looking at it, on look by June 1st is what it's looking like on most of the state's projections is when life could get back to some normalcy here. Um, it, it's a sad thing that it seems like so long, right? It's March 30th and we're saying June 1st. But that, per these projections, is when I think we will feel comfortable going out again, going, you know, to a party, going to a soccer game. I don't think before that we're going to feel comfortable. Dr. Sarah Edwards, it's in these times that you are one of the many most outstanding players, if you will, out there uh, in this time where we would typically be in the midst of March Madness. Uh, you're, you're a champion, and we want to thank you for all that you're doing and all that your colleagues are doing at this time because we need all of you now more than ever. And it's greatly appreciated uh, for everything that you're doing as both a doctor. It's inspiring to hear your story of being a mother. And we want to thank you for taking the time on the Full Core Press podcast here today. It means a lot to us. Thank you so much for having me. Stay healthy. Some really powerful stuff there. Thanks again to Dr. Sarah Edwards for joining us. And Kim, all that pops in my head listening to her talk is with everything she's doing not only at her hospital, but then coming home and having to get undressed and basically decontaminate everything before she heads into her household being a mom of four and a wife, it makes me think all we're being asked to do is just to stay in our homes. And if that's the, the least of the things that we can do, then we should absolutely be doing it. When you hear about the circumstances that the people that are going through this, the people on the front lines, basically heroes every minute of the day. It just speaks to how powerful this pandemic is and what we can do during it. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was real stuff, John. That was, that was heavy at times. And I, same for me. I mean, I just, I think we, we can't forget how these doctors and and nurses and any medical personnel working in hospitals right now, they're literally risking their own lives every day when they go into work. Um, and I think, you know, you, you said it all we're asked to do is stay inside and, and we have the luxury and, and 
the fortune of, you know, our day is watching Netflix. Uh, our day is, you know, maybe I do a yoga class inside and at times, you know, we're complaining about, oh, I just want to go out to eat. I just, I want to go to the gym. Um, and, it, and hearing it directly from Dr. Edwards mouth just really puts it all into perspective. Um, they, they are heroes right now and just how mentally draining it is for them. And we talked to her a little bit more off the air um, about s what she's hearing in New York, where it's at its worst. And it's, it's scary. And it's just so I just can't commend these people enough for just putting on their their gear every day and literally going into battle. Um, and it, it is so real. And I think some people maybe still don't realize that. And you get infuriated when you see the reports of, oh, hundreds of people at the beach, all these people at the basketball courts. Um, this is stuff that people have, have to take seriously. Um, just hearing from her as, as a mom um, was really, really hit hard. God bless them. God bless these people who are helping everybody uh, with this pandemic and risking their own lives day in and day out. And, you know, what we've tried to do with this interview and in this podcast today is link the sport of basketball to this time of crisis here. And sometimes you hear it said to college players. I know there's a there's a program that we've both been at that the Big East runs. It's called Transition Game, and it's for juniors and seniors that are playing in the conference to hear about their different life options after college. And I've heard that in that program, these are the best four years of your life, but you're going to take what you've learned. And whether it's basketball or not, you're going to end up taking these things and applying them to your life. And what was so clear about this interview with Dr. Edwards was that she takes what Pat Summit taught her on and off the court into the hospital every day. Yeah, that was really cool to listen to. I I believe she flat out said she doesn't know if she would even be in this field. Yes. If she hadn't if she had not not only if she hadn't played, but if she hadn't played for Pat Summit. That is that is the level of impact that Pat Summit had on her. And you would have to think Pat would be so proud right now, maybe as proud of any player she's ever been to have a former player on the front lines of this battle right now. But I just, I, you know, as a former player, I can, I can resonate in terms of where certain lessons you take apply in life. But I mean, this is on a different level when she talks the, the focus, just the level of focus she learned as a player and how she applies that now every day and every day she has to be on a hundred percent. I just, I think that speaks volumes to the benefit of playing sports, being a female athlete, being an athlete, being coached by someone with such an impact. I just, I thought that spoke volumes, John. It did. That whole conversation did. And, and she talked about the site to us after the interview that she's been referencing. You can head to covid19.healthdata.org. And it's got some really strong information on it, projections, actual data, because I know in, the, in this time of crisis, everybody's trying to get a clarity to it. And Dr. Edwards certainly provided that today. We want to thank her for her time.
Another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is in the books. Thanks again to Dr. Edwards for spending some time with us and sharing her perspective on this situation. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, who made it happen, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of his help. Ben Wolfen edits the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. That's right, John. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. On Thursdays, Monica McNutt drops by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops every Monday, and John and I always back with you on Tuesdays with a new episode of Full Court Press. So please continue to check out all of these shows. Give them some downloads. Give them some love, ratings, reviews. And, of course, during this time, just continue to stay healthy. We'll be back with you trying to provide a little positivity to your weeks during these tough times. So we will see you next week on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.